Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, and my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Amen. How many of you received a a little gift from the church this morning when when you came in. Anyone? Hershey bar? Amen. Well, I just want to say a special thank you to my wife, Krista, and also Kristen, for even though their mother's on this day, they put that all together themselves. They wrapped them all by themselves. And so we thank the Lord for their efforts. Amen? Praise God. We sure do. Amen. And also, if you don't want yours, just... <laughs> Amen. And Mary Hart does do good like a medicine, doesn't it? This morning we're going to talk about Mother's on Mother's Day, and actually we're going to talk about a few things on Mother's Day, but let's look at this particular verse of Scripture. I'm using it as a starter for just a shock therapy, if that's okay. Can I use it as a shock therapy method to my madness this morning? Is that okay? In the book of Leviticus in chapter 19, or chapter 20, verse 9, notice what it says. Anyone, everybody say anyone. Does that include anyone and everyone? Who dishonors father or mother must be put to death. Whoa. Such a person is guilty of a capital offense. I'll, I'll just let that set with you for a while. <laughs> okay? Is that okay? Just let that set with you. We'll explain it later. Is that okay? All right. Praise God. When it comes to Mother's Day, it's a day that has mixed emotions. To some, it's a very special day. When children express their love and gratitude for their, for their moms in various ways. Maybe you're going to take mom out to eat this afternoon. Maybe you're going to buy her, you already bought her a present or a gift or whatever. Or just send a note like we just saw right here today. It's just something very special that you do for mom on that day. Because it's her day. You want to just exclusively think about her. And you come from a wonderful family and it's just a wonderful day. But then secondly, we have those, it's a dreaded day to others of emotional pain. And that emotional pain is triggered off for various reasons. Number one, maybe it's infertility. You weren't able to have a child, which is why we like to honor all women, even though it's called Mother's Day. There are some women that were unable to have children. And for them, it's a painful time. Uh, in other situations, you, you, maybe you lost your mother, could be recently or even at an early age. Or maybe you lost a child. And that can be very painful as well. And then uh, in some cases, there's been miscarriages. There's been abortions. And once again, it produces painful you know, memories. Uh, some, in some cases, young girls are forced to abort their child just for the purpose of uh, saving face. And they have to go through something like that because maybe they're underage and they do what their parents say to do. And that is painful for them for the rest of their lives. In other cases, maybe your mom was abusive. Maybe she rejected you, didn't care about you, and so on. In other cases, maybe it's a child that's been rebellious or maybe children that are rebellious. And as a result, it's not a happy Mother's Day. Maybe it's a very stressful or trying Mother's Day and painful. So we, we got a list of scenarios that go on and on. It could be that maybe you were, uh, let's say, given up for adoption and you never knew your biological mother. And you spent a lot of time maybe even trying to find your biological mother, but there's a void that's in your heart, that's in your life as a result. So as you can see these many different scenarios, 
don't make it very easy for someone to put together a Mother's Day message that's really going to minister to all the people that are you know, affected by what today represents. So it's important that we understand that. But I'm going to do my best just to share a few things with you this morning. And the very first group I want to talk to is the brokenhearted. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18, I've got good news for you this morning. It's actually great news. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 18. Look what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me. So the Spirit's anointing came upon Jesus to do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Just want to stop right there. That's all I need to read. To preach the gospel and to single out the brokenhearted and do what? Heal their broken heart. We know that Jesus is a healer. He has arisen with healing in His wings. And it's not just physical healing. It's also emotional healing. And that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted actually means He came to put the pieces of a shattered heart back together again. He came to bind up those wounds, to do what only God can do by His anointing, by His Spirit, by His power. I mean, thank God for all the methods that we might have to help people emotionally to get through trying times, but I believe the ultimate healing comes not from a pill or therapy. It comes from a person. And His name is Jesus. And He's here right now. And look at Psalm 147, verse 3, because it echoes the same kind of thing. It's exactly what Jesus said He came to do. Look at what it says, Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the broken in heart, and He binds up their wounds. See, only He can do that. And no matter what has taken place on the inside of us, only He can heal it. And He's here right now. If we just stopped right now and just said, Lord, we know you're here. We've created a habitation for you. We know you're walking up and down these aisles right now. And we know what you're here for. To heal brokenhearted people. So no matter what the scenario might be that has affected you in your life, what's important on your end is to know this. It's up to you to present your heart to him for healing. It's up to us to do that. He's here to do it. But we have got to give Him that opportunity to do it. And so no matter what you've been through, what you've gone through, His presence is here right now. Can we bow our heads and pray? Father, thank You for Your presence among us. Thank You for Jesus who heals the broken at heart and binds up every wound. You know each person's situation that's in this place today, whether they've encountered the storm of bereavement and have been attacked by grief, Doing the, for the loss of a child, or the loss of a parent, a mother, or whether there's been an abortion, or a miscarriage, or whether or not there's been strained relationships between mother and child. Regardless of the situation, you are the healer. And we thank you right now for every individual person in this place affected by these scenarios. May your spirit and may your anointing fall upon each and every one of these lives right now. And may there be a quickening of your Holy Spirit, healing the broken heart, binding up the wound, putting together the pieces of the heart back where they belong. Father, I thank you for manifesting your presence in this way and power in this way in the lives of each and every one. Hallelujah. Thank you for it. Now, would you just go ahead and say, I just receive it. I thank you for it, Father. And from this day on, I'm just going to thank you for putting my heart back together again, putting my life back together again, and healing not just me, myself, but also any relationship that can be salvaged because of your divine intervention. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Continue on Thank thanking Him throughout the day. And I just believe His miracle power will continue to minister to your need. Now, secondly, a second group, just to share some insights from moms uh, from the Bible, biblical mothers 
you know, and wives that can be helpful to women today, mothers and, and wives as well. We can get some insights, learn some insights about things that we need to be aware of with regard to our walk with God and our position in our home. Number one, let's look at Eve. Eve is first. We know that she's the mother of all living, we're told. We know that she's the first wife and first mother. We know that. But she had no example to follow other than the fact that she was created in the image of God. And the first thing that we see is this, that the feminine qualities in a woman's life are really a part of the characteristics of God himself. You see, the full image of God is not found in a man only, but in a man and woman because he made man, both male and female. And so not only did he take, you could say, the rib out of Adam, there was also that part that he reconstructed in the woman that represents a part of his own personal image and his characteristics. And so the full image of God is found in the male and a female. When you put those two together in marriage, you, you could say you've got the completed image of God right there. And so that means that we need each other. We need one another. Do you know, I heard something that was just awful just the other day. Uh, it was a program they were talking about some things as far as marriage is concerned. And you think about children being reared up in a society today, our culture today, and the way it's leaning and the direction that it's heading in. And you know what the, con the conversation was about? It was about this. We're possibly getting to a place to where people will come together and they sign a marriage contract that they'll stay together for five years. And after the five years, if they just can't make it, if it just doesn't seem feasible to continue on, then it's okay just to dissolve the relationship and that's all there is to it. So they won't be under any obligation whatsoever to each other. Can you imagine being a child that was born to a union like that and you're living in your life in a situation where you don't know if your mom and dad are going to stay together because of a contract that they signed? That's what's happening in our society today. Because you see, I believe that the world is trying to influence people in the church. But the church should be influencing the way people think in the world. You know, So imagine that. But we learn from Eve certain things. Another thing that we learn from Eve, if you're a woman out there, and really it applies to all of us, is the fact that it's important to protect the heart, no matter who you are, from deception. We know from the very beginning that deception was the number one tool of Satan to destroy the life of people, the lives of people. And he's not changed his MO. He is still doing that today, and she was deceived. We're told emphatically in Scripture that she was deceived. Which brings us to another point. Why was she deceived? She did not consult God. She did not consult her husband before she made an important decision. And that's talking about community. That's talking about people putting their thoughts together, putting their minds together before acting out and making certain choices and decisions in life. Now, I realize you might be sitting out there thinking that, yeah, but he gave to his wife, or she gave to her husband who was with her. You know what? There's two sides to that coin. And for the most part, I did my own personal study. And what I discover is, even though some say, well, he was right there by her side, he could have stopped it. If you really study the scriptures out correctly, you know what you'll find out? He wasn't by her side. Not at that moment. Just think this through. When God came to them and said, what's, what's going on? Why are you hiding yourself? Adam, what did you do? Who did he blame? He said, now think about the devil. Why not? Why didn't he say anything at all about the devil? It's the wife you gave me. She convinced me to do this, basically. So he went to her and said to her, what did you do? It was the devil who deceived me. And you read Timothy, you read Paul, in Timothy where Paul talked about she was deceived, she was deceived. There's no mention whatsoever of Adam being deceived. So the really, if you really want to look, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but the, probably the best way to look at it was he, remember he's subtle, right? Is he not subtle? You think it's subtlety and wisdom for him to go to both of them together? He waited till she was alone singled her out, began to talk to her and point some things out to her. She made her decision. She partook of the tree. And the best way to look at it was then when she was with her husband, when she was with her husband, she convinced him to follow her in the act of rebellion. 
Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but there are two trains of thought when it comes here to, to this particular subject. She should have consulted God first of all, and she should have consulted her husband second of all, or together. Remember, he visited them in the cool of the day every single day. Should she not have gone and said, you know what? I've been getting this information from the serpent. Heavenly Father, Adam, what do you think? What's going on here? And boy, she would have been told the truth. But we know, we know the story. We know what happened from that point on. And if there's anything that could really help us better understand the need to consult God, to consult our husbands, to see to it that we even consult other people that are knowledgeable in the truth of God's Word before making important decisions is Abel's death. Can you imagine her after seeing Cain kill her son, Abel, living with the guilt of what she did to create this whole mess that we're living in. So it's important to make choices that are based on God's Word and that we get the mind of God consulting Him before making those decisions because, look, even our children are affected by the decisions that parents make. Can you see that? Look at Sarah then. The next one, the next woman from the Bible that we can learn some insights from. And Sarah reveals to us the fact that uh, there is a work of the flesh and there is a work of the spirit. And sometimes the promises of God are delayed for reasons maybe we don't even know, but they're delayed for some reason. So to act out in the flesh, we can do that because you see we get weak waiting for something to materialize. And so we kind of help God out like she helped God out. And what happens? We can create some, own, some, again, more problems for ourselves by doing it our way, the flesh way, and not His way, the spirit way. So as you look at Galatians chapter 4, it's outlined in there. You can read it for yourself, but it's Galatians chapter 4. It's an allegory. So here we have on one hand Hagar and Sarah on the other. Hagar stands for the work of the flesh. Sarah, the work of the spirit. She's the slave. She's the free woman. She gave birth to Ishmael. She gave birth to Isaac. He's the father of the Islamic nations. He's the father of Israel. Jacob came out of Isaac, Israel. One stands for the law. The other one stands for grace. So we see that her decision to act out in the flesh had consequences that opened up the door to a persecution within the home, which is why Hagar and Ishmael had to leave. But what persecution is still happening today between the Islamic nations and between the nation of Israel? And this has been an ongoing thing ever since that decision was made. Is it not true? So one was the work of the flesh that opened up the door to things that are detrimental to not just individual families, but also the whole nation. So we, we learn those things from her. And then we have Hannah. And what a delight it is to study the life of a woman who, no matter how long it took, never gave up on her dreams. So no matter where you're at, don't ever give up on your dreams when it comes to the things that God has for you. We know that she longed for a child, but she also recognized that if God were to give her a child, it would be because the child who belongs to him would be dedicated back to him. And so she made a decision to live her life in such a way so as to, if God would give her a child that she so longed for, she would see to it that she helped this child find and fulfill the will of God for his life. And that's exactly what she asked for. And so what does that teach us today? The value and the importance of godly mothers and wives to instill within their children truths that will help them better understand how to find and fulfill the will of God for their lives. And of course, she followed through, which means what else do we learn from her? Honor your vows that you vow before the Lord. So she was a woman that dreamed big. She was a woman that had patience over the period of time that, of course, she was denied. But then she followed through on her vows. When God did his part, she did her part. And thanks be to God, Samuel became a leader in all of Israel. And God used him as a prophet in a mighty way. 
what a wonderful thing that we can see happens here when we dedicate ourselves to teach our children the ways of God. And then we have Lois. Everybody know Lois? The, the mother of, we say Eunice. I think it may be in the Greek it's Eunice. The mother of Timothy. And what do we learn from her? The value of teaching our children the word of God as from a youth. Because you re remember when Paul wrote to Timothy and said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, As from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise into salvation. Well, where did he learn the Scriptures? From your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. So Lois passed on to the next generation a knowledge of God's saving grace, who passed on that knowledge to her daughter, Eunice, who passed on that knowledge to her son, Timothy. And what happened? Timothy became a pastor, and he began to pa pass on that same knowledge to multitudes of people because he knew the saving grace of God. He had the knowledge of salvation. He was wise unto salvation. Now, we're talking about generation after generation after generation receiving the truth from God's Word and passing it on to the next generation. And I believe from the very beginning that's what God intended. That we were to teach our children and our children's children the ways of the Lord so that they would walk in the ways of the Lord. And there is nothing more important than doing so. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. Now, when it comes to honoring mom, look at Ephesians. It's not in your notes there. My mistake, but it's not in your notes. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Look at these uh, first three verses. Children, obey your parents when you feel like it. No, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Here we have... The Apostle Paul quoting the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother, and this commandment has a promise connected to it. Now, in that these verses, he tells us why. And the first reason why, notice what he says, this is right. To honor means to hold in high esteem. It means to highly regard your mom. Why? This is right. Well, why is it right? First of all, because God commands it. Is that not a good enough answer? You still out there? Is that not a good enough answer? Would you agree with me that if we just stopped right there, that would be a good enough answer? God said to honor, hold in high esteem and high regard your father and your mother in the Lord. This is the right thing to do. This is the right position to take. Okay, that's what he said. But another reason, if we want to go beyond that, is that children owe their parents a great deal of debt, even though they don't know that or realize that until they get married and have ten of their own. Then they start realizing what sacrifices parents made for the betterment of their own children. Can you say amen to that? And I believe this is in your notes there. Uh, way back in 1960, it cost $25,000 to rear up a child to age 17. $25,000 from 0 to 17 to really pay for the needs of that child. Last study in 2017, $233,000, $610, not including college education that's a pretty good chunk of change is it not so over this 18 to 20 year period parents are sacrificing for their children they're working harder and harder for their children because they want to give their children a better life and so they make their sacrifices and so they work hard and they give themselves completely and totally why because they want to see their children prosper. And they may sacrifice again their own certain things they want in life so that they can see their children prosper. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But it's also true that it's for the benefit of 
the future, future posterity, you could say. See, when it comes to institutions of learning, we understand that we should be teaching our children obedience and discipline where? In the home, and that's where it starts. And then, of course, it goes from the home to where? The school. And then from the school, it goes into society. And what we see happening in our culture, and this has been a subtle transition over the years, and I believe you're going to agree with me, Way back when I was in 1960, I was nine years old. And probably one of the most challenging things was in the classroom was throwing spitballs and putting gum underneath the desk. One of them, a couple of them. Today, what is it? Who's bringing a knife? Who's bringing a gun? Who's bringing drugs? And this list goes on and on and on and on and on. Well, did that just happen overnight? No. We understand that the enemy is targeting families for a specific reason. If he can mess up the family, he can mess up the society, the nation. Our nation is strong when we're not divided. So he targets the home and what does he do? creates friction within the home. Parents getting too busy to invest in the lives of their children. In many cases, not any fault of their own, just the way society is going, just the way our culture is, just having to have to work two jobs and three jobs just to make ends meet. But it starts with the demise of the, of the marriage. And then it starts, it continues with the demise of children's lives where they're not being taught discipline, they're not being taught obedience in the home, and so that when they got off in the school, well, the school's teachers can't do anything. Their hands are tied. If they raise their voice, if they, oh, my goodness, I got the, the I got the, uh, you could say, what's the best way to say I got the correction that came to me in school when I was in gym class, and it was applied to my seat of learning with a wooden paddle. And this particular teacher, I'm telling you, he had some insights. You see, his wasn't just a flat paddle. No, no. He drilled holes in it. He drilled holes in it to get the full impact. Okay? And I was a little bit rowdy. I wasn't always reserved. And did a few kind of crazy things in school. Nothing like bringing guns and knives and drugs. And I, I didn't even know drugs existed when I was in school. Even though they did. But I would get it. If they would do that today, they'd be in jail or lose their job. So what has happened is the enemy has undermined, even within the home, parents were told by so many individuals, our experts, do not spank your child. But the Bible clearly said that if you do, you'll drive from them. You, won't, you might, you know, cause a little pain on the seat of learning, but you're going to drive them away from the forces of darkness and eternity in hell. Well, when we stop doing these things in the home, then at school their hands are tied. So where do they go? Out into society. And what happens? If they're rebelling at home, they're rebelling at school, they're a troublemaker at school, then they go off to society and, and the seed of learning is where? In prison somewhere. And we see these things happening in our society today. Well, there's no respect for authority, and it starts in the home. Now, let's kind of get back to that Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 9. What did that verse say to us? If anyone mistreats, dishonors, shows disrespect to his parents, it is a capital punishment deserving of death the death sentence. I want to read this to you because this is one of the things I believe that's the foundation for the demise of the family. Look, This is a commentary on what I just said there. The punishment was not an impulsive act of anger or vengeance. Verse 19 says that the city elders had to oversee the case and determine the guilt of the child. It is only after the elders pronounced the sentence of death that the execution could take place. The law did not allow for an angry parent to arbitrarily stone a child. A modern equivalent of this is when a parent sees new footage, news footage 
of his child committing a crime and subsequently turns that child into the police. If parents know their child is acting in a way that's endangering society, they're responsible to obey the civil authorities and report the crime. The punishment was designed to preserve the nation. And as verse 21 explains, the reason for this law was to purge e evil from society and act as a deterrent to future rebellion. Israel was a nation chosen by God to be holy. God gave the Israelites three types of laws, judicial, moral, and ceremonial. This is a judicial law. A child who was actively and deliberately rejecting the laws of the land needed to be punished judicially. Rebellion against one's parents is direct rebellion against God. The fifth commandment is to honor one's father and mother. Parents are a God-ordained authority. Disobedience to parents is disobedience to God himself. So throughout the Bible, there are only a handful of things we are told to fear. And, of course, fearing God is one of them. And, of course, fearing our parents and reverencing them is honoring God. So the law required rebellious children to be stoned to death was meant for extreme cases to protect God's people. And it would have to be a heartbreaking situation for parents to bear the responsibility of initiating such severe measures. It's never recorded that this happened. I'm not saying that it didn't happen. We understand that it's an extreme thing, but the reason why I'm going to bring that out this morning is for us to understand how much has been lost over the years. God actually saw this highly disregarded attitude toward parents as being a criminal offense punishable by death. And when we lose the fear of God in the home, then we lose the fear of God in the school, and we lose the fear of God in society, and we let society take over, what happens? We've got all kind of anarchy. We've got people doing the, what they want to do, living the way they want to live, making up their own laws, or not God-ordained or God-given God laws. But can you see if that fear of God is placed back into children's lives where they rec recognize and realize this is a big offense to be disrespectful to your parents. And again, we're not talking about out of anger you said something you should have said. We're talking about an attitude that exists in a person's life that they are going to totally rebel against their parents. And that could be damaging to themselves, to their well-being, and also to the well-being of others. If you saw your child, I'll give you an example, with a gun on his way or her way to school with an intent to take human lives, would you call the authorities? You sure would. Even though it's your child, sure you would. Because you want to protect all the others as well as your own child. Alright, so next, look at the promise. The promise. He said, it'll be well with you and you will live long on the earth. Now, once again, we can invoke the blessing of God on our own lives if we will just make a decision as children to honor our parents, whether they're right or whether they're wrong. If we honor our mother, as the scripture says, we invoke a blessing upon ourselves, that it may be well with you and you live long on the earth. Notice the two, well, with, well days and long life. Anybody here want to agree with that? Do you want well days? Do you want long life? Sure we do. We all want that. Here's a way to see to it that we can set it in motion. When I was living in Chippewa, there was a situation one day. Police came and all that sort of thing. I wondered, right? Three houses up the street from me. I wondered what was going on. Well, I found out what was going on. The last words this young man said, heard his parents say, were these words. Son... Your mom and I have got to go to school. I mean, got to go to work. We want you to get on that bus like you do every morning and see to it that you get on that bus and you go to school. Well, his parents told him. But you see, he didn't listen. Because across the street was a friend of his that he listened to. Hey, this is a perfect time for us to play a little bit of hooky. And so they played hooky and stayed home from school. Of course, the parents would have not known that until they came home, I guess, and fi finally discovered it and figured it out. But you see, they got an early call. Because the boy across the street decided, let's play with these guns that we have. And took the boy's life. Not intentionally, of course. But here's the thought. Had he obeyed his mom and dad and got on the bus and went to school, 
he'd probably still be alive today. And the whole point is this. The parents have lived a lot longer than the children have. And they know a lot of the pitfalls. They know a lot of all the roadblocks and all the hurdles that get over. And they're trying to instill some wisdom in their children's lives. But there's a generation gap. And as a result, of course, parents, they believe they know more than their children because they've been down the road before. But the children who have never been down the road, they've got their own mindset and think that they know more than their parents. Like Mark Twain once said when he was 14 years old, his parents didn't know anything. When he was 21, he was amazed how much they learned between that seven-year period. See, the older that we get, the more we realize, Jason, we start acting like our parents. Dante, I'm not growing my hair out. I'm not going to have it buzzed either. But over a period of time, what happens? You find yourself saying the same things that your parents said to you. It happens, doesn't it? Because you start seeing things through a different perspective, with different eyes. So it's important that we realize that we can set in motion the blessing in our lives for well days and long life if we learn to respect our children, our, our parents, and obey them, whatever it is they tell us to do. And how are we going to do that? This is our final point. How? How will we do that? Well, I believe... The scriptures reveal to us certain things. In that verse, that verse 1, Ephesians 6, 1 says, How to honor your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey. Obedience is the first way. Obedience. Make a decision that I'm going to obey my mother and my father. Even if I feel as though they're wrong, I'm still going to be a person that obeys because obedience is better than sacrifice and if you're a young person and you're warring with this thing look you can set in motion spiritual laws for your life and these spiritual powers go beyond the natural world that you live in but you can set in motion these spiritual laws that will help you in this life so that God can have his hand upon you to protect you to deliver you to help you by making a decision to honor your parents, you understand you're honoring God in a powerful way. Because He sees it so valuable and so important that He says, look, if you don't, it's a criminal offense. Punishable by death. Imagine that statement that God is making. Is God being cruel? Is God being mean? Absolutely not. But He knows more than we all know, right? He knew that a mother and a father would lead their child down the right path. And if they would be obedient to do what they're instructed to do, it's going to be well with them. Now, I don't know about you, but my parents told my, my I'll never forget my mother one time. You know, it's amazing. I didn't even know what some of this stuff was. They said, if you ever find yourself at maybe a gathering with some of your friends and they offer you a Coke, don't drink it. Don't drink it. Do your parents ever tell you that? Don't drink it. Well, why? Because they might put some drugs in it. And then they got you. Can you imagine that? And here I'm thinking these things in my mind. This is something my mother told me. Of course, you don't want to offend your friends when you go to someone's house or anything like that. But it does make you say, oh, thank you, I'm okay. I'm not thirsty. It's okay. I appreciate that. Thank you for the offer, but it's okay. They're always trying to steer us in the right direction, in other words. So that we take the right path, we make the right decision, we do the right thing so that we don't get into trouble. So that we don't get involved in drinking and driving and causing an accident and that sort of thing. They're always trying to lead us down the right path. And so when we make a decision to obey our parents in the Lord for this is right, we invoke a blessing upon our lives. It is well with us and we live long on the earth because we don't make decisions where our lives can be taken from us prematurely. And that's exactly what God knew. And that's why he said, obey your parents in the Lord for this is the right thing to do. So the number one thing that you and I can do is to be obedient to our parents. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 2 and verse 51. And this is the life of Jesus, who is our example. And remember, he's the perfect child. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. 
He was subject to his parents. This is when they found him in the temple. And they said, where have you been? We were looking for you. And when they found him, they said, you've got to come with us. He was subject to them and went with them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. He was saying, look, I'm, I'm about my father's business. But since you're saying for me to come, I'm going to come with you out of obedience and respect for you. So he respected his mother until the very end when he made provision for her. Did he not before when he died on the cross? He said, John, you take care of her. So he was concerned about her up to the very end of her life by making provision for her. Hmm. Did you ever think about this? Like a little light bulb went on. You think that might be a main reason why John they couldn't kill? He had to take care of Mary for a long time. He was, one of the, only, he was the only one that was not killed by a martyr's death. Next, number two, attitude. Attitude is extremely important. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I had a bad attitude when I was a little kid. My brother was a smart one. He kept his mouth quiet. Me, I was a talker. Anybody ever talk back to your parents here? Come on now. I'm the only one. Seriously? All right. Thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate that very much. And my mother would finally just lose it. You see, I've told you about these ventures that I had with my mom when I would run down. I thought I had it made. I would run down to the basement. We had a Cape Cod house. I would back talk her. I would run to the kitchen. And I thought I had it made. I'd go down the stairs, almost to the bottom of the stairs, and a shoe hit me in the back of the head. Or this rubber arm would stretch out. Mothers have rubber arms, elastic arms, and they just would stretch out and she'd get you and pull you back. Trust me, my mother was a good aim. Very good aim. So, back talking and things like that, of course, I was involved in. I grew out of it and I thank God that I did, but my brother would be very quiet. He wouldn't say anything at all. And it seemed like he always get off scot-free. I was always getting in trouble. One day, my father came home from work. He worked in the mill. He worked the morning shift, the, morning shift, the first shift. And he'd come at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there I am. And, and he walks in the door. And my mother says, Mike, spank Billy. You should have seen this look come on his face. Like fire in his eyes. And this was in the day, he, if he didn't have a belt on, he pulled out a cheater cord. Bend over. Don't you want to hear my side of the story first? Can I have an advocate? A mediator? Because he knew my mouth would always get me in trouble. My brother was the smart one. I was the mouthy one. Thank God for Jesus who came into my heart and changed me from the inside out. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And we need to learn to obedience and discipline in the home so that we don't have a bad attitude. See, I had a bad attitude. Attitude determines altitude in life. And if our attitude is bad, then we're not going to climb high. We're going to basically fall. And so a young person... It's not just the fact that you're obedient. You could be obedient by sitting down in that chair that your mom said to sit down in. But you could sit there saying, in yourself, in your heart, I may be sitting here on this chair, but I'm standing in my heart. <laughs> I may be physically sitting, but I'm standing within. Now, you don't have to show your hands. Tell me you haven't done that. You did it, but not no part of you wanted to do it. Inside there was rebellion going on like you'd never believe. What kind of attitude should I have toward my mom? One of thanksgiving. Be thankful. You say, but I there's nothing I can see to be thankful for. She brought you into the world. What did Harris say in his note? She can take you out. I knew that where it coming from just by reading. I had to see his face. 
Am I right? <laughs> Aaron, did you ever hear that? <laughs> yes, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. <laughs> My point is, there are reasons for you to be thankful that you have a mother that loves you, that cares for you, that is here for you, that provides for you, or whatever. But if anything, be thankful because you've been instructed to in the Word of God. And you can change the whole atmosphere of your relationship. But then also, show honesty. Show honesty. Honesty is so absolutely important in the life of a child because every child wants to be believed by his or her parents. And if you mess with your integrity and your trustworthiness by telling lies and, and maybe not always the full truth when it comes to situations, then you lose trust and integrity when it comes to your mom and dad. Oftentimes I'll just say, take the bathtub and fill it up with water and that's absolute trust and integrity. And they don't doubt you for one moment until you tell about three or four or five lies and the water begins to come out. You're at school and, and they're defending you to the hilt, but then the teacher comes along and shows evidence that they were lying, they weren't telling the truth, and this happens time and time and time again. It gets to the point to where the bathtub is half full of water. And now your parents don't believe what you're saying because you violated their trust. And so to get the trust back into the, the water back into the bathtub, you've got to put it in one spoonful at a time, and it takes time to regain trust and integrity. And so it's so important to realize it's, it's your integrity. It's who you are. You know, God can't lie, and God will not lie. He swore by an oath, He will not change, which is why I say in covenant talk, God cannot, God will not alter the word that's gone out of His mouth so we can anchor our souls, we can trust Him, we can believe in Him, and that He will do everything He said He would do. That's God. And what does He say about us? We should also be the same way. That my word is really me. If, I'm, if I said I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. You can trust me, Mom. You can trust me, Dad. And they'll have your back. But it'll be hard that if you violate that trust, look out. They won't know what to do. And then finally here, attention. And we're going to close with these scriptures. And I'll tell you what, this is really meaningful to me today more than ever. By giving them, number one, being thankful. By seeing to it that you're obedient to them. An attitude of thanksgiving. Uh, before them and integrity but then here number three attention give them attention we live in a rapid paced society a time right now when it seems like as though we're so busy that we don't have time for each other even within the family and that's not a good thing but notice in the book of Leviticus chapter 19 and this is in the New Living Translation of the Bible stand up in the presence of the elderly and show respect for the aged fear your God I am the Lord. Let's look at that one more time. Stand up in the presence of the elderly. Show respect for the aged. Fear your God. I am the Lord. Honoring the elderly is showing reverence for the living God. And too often in society today, what it seems like is though that when people get older, and this is a sad scenario, this percentage, I just did a study and found out 70% of the elderly that are in nursing homes do not receive visitation on a regular basis from their children. Only 30% in nursing homes get the attention of their children. Regardless of what the situation may be, they're in the nursing home, they're probably moving towards exiting this realm in which we live, and yet only 30% will go there on any regular basis and visit with their parents. It's like they're completely forgotten. And what does the Lord say? I take it seriously, honor them. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. And, and these are powerful words spoken by Jesus. He echoes the same things that was spoken back then. Jesus replied, this is from the New Living Translation, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandment of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Is that not powerful? 
What's Jesus saying here? Honor and respect your parents. Okay? Because look, you're saying in order for them to escape the commandment of God, it's okay to give all your resources to uh, the temple. For temple worship, you're giving to God because God's greater. But you can't now care for your parents that are elderly who took care of you all your life. And you're not going to do that? You've got an escape clause? You are invalidating, he's saying, the word of God for your own traditions. And you know what else they were doing? This is what a belief was back then. They would give it all, all their inheritance, all their estate. They would give it all to the temple and all the priests and all that, knowing that they would be invested for them and they can get it back indirectly around the corner. Now, what a sad scenario. And they wouldn't give to their parents to help their parents in their most mature years of life. And Jesus was infuriated. And then Proverbs chapter 20. And we'll close it with this. Proverbs chapter 20. And verse 20. Whoso curses his father or mother or disrespects father or mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. In other words, he's going to stumble through life in darkness and wonder why he can't see things clearly in life. And so these scriptures reveal to us the need for all of us to go back and begin to live life the way God intended, that we honor Him first. And notice that verse of Scripture. If it's Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5, I believe it is. It's the, or it's the first commandment with promise around verse 12. It's the commandment of promise. Honor your father and your mother. The first four deal with our relationship with God. You could say the, the last five deal with society. And in between those, what do you have? Honor your father and your mother. Because you see, it comes from God to parents and then from the children to society. And that's what he put in the middle of it. See to it. So a young person out there, honor your mother today. Not with just a physical gift, but with obedience, integrity, seeing to it that you have a good attitude, and most importantly, give them attention that they need throughout their lives, especially in a ripe old age. You know, my dad's in a nursing home right now, and I probably get there three times a week to get up there to be with him, to see him. We saw him yesterday. And it's not always a good situation when you see, you know, your, your, your parent like that. And... Sometimes he recognizes me, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he knows my name and sometimes he doesn't. But you know what? I wouldn't miss being there with him for anything in the world because they deserve anything I can give. They took care of me when I came into this world and I want to be there to take care of my parents as well.